I want to jump right into the word this morning. As you know, we're going through a series called Fan or Follower. What does it truly mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And for some of you that are here today and you've been uh, following Jesus for for maybe a lot of years, maybe some of you are new to this whole thing, um, we're really defining what Jesus expects of us. Expects of us. Is it just a, a a religious thing that we just do once a week, or at Easter, or at Christmas, or is it something that that Jesus wants to impact our lives every single day? And we're looking at the scriptures. We're looking at the words of Christ and uh, and and what He expects of us. And I want to jump right into the Word today. There's a just an incredible story in Luke chapter seven about a woman that comes and anoints the feet of Jesus. Now, this just wasn't any ordinary person. This, this was a person of ill repute. It was a sinful woman that comes and anoints the feet of Jesus. And it's a really interesting thing what happens here and, and how Jesus deals with this situation because there's a bunch of religious people that are looking at Jesus to see how he handles this situation. And many people are judging this situation. They're judging this woman. But it's interesting how Jesus handles this with his grace and mercy. The story is found in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. And I want to read this for you. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can. Um, or you can look up at the screens. But let, let's look how Jesus handles this very delicate situation um, in this Pharisee's house named Simon, who is having a dinner for Jesus. And this woman uh, interrupts this dinner, this sinful woman interrupts this dinner to anoint Jesus's feet. It starts by saying, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Now let's, let, let me pause here just for a minute. A Pharisee was a religious person who, who not only looked at the word of God, but also held, held up their man-made traditions very strictly. And they, they, they looked down on people that didn't hold to their standard of religiosity. And so this was a group running around and they judged people for what they didn't or didn't do for God. So this is where Jesus is at. He's at this religious Pharisee's house. And so Jesus went to his home and, and sat down to eat when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And this is what she does. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on Jesus's feet. She wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Now, what's interesting here in verse 40, Jesus then answers his thoughts and says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. So he says, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied, and Jesus shares this story. And Jesus tells him a story. He says, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here, when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash uh, the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, Simon, the religious one, he's getting ready to school him right now. You ready? Here Jesus goes. Because the people Jesus schooled were the religious ones, right? Now people think, oh, Jesus is so nice. All the Not with religious people. He's going to call it for what it is. And so what Jesus says is, is, I tell you, Simon, her sins, and they are many. Jesus isn't whitewashing her sins. He said, they're many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Everybody say amen to that story. What a beautiful story. And we're going to dig into this in just a moment. I can remember, uh, when I was in church, I was 17, 17 years old, and our church had a balcony. And so I would love to sit up in the balcony, and you could look down at all the people sitting down you know, on the lower floor. And I used to take paper and you know, throw it from the thing. People would look up who did that, you know, stuff like that, uh, really getting into everything that was going on in church at that time. Uh, but anyways, I remember I would, what I, I'm going to really, just, don't judge me right now, okay, because I was 17, but I would look around and see what pretty girls were sitting down uh, on the bump. So I would look around and I remember noticing this one pretty girl who had a ribbon in her hair and she dressed really preppy. If you guys remember what that, what that was, she had dock siders on and her collar was flipped up, epitome of, of preppy. And that was my wife, Kathleen. So I'm looking down I'm like, whoo, who's that girl down there? Right. Just totally listening to the message. Right. And just letting Jesus speak to my heart. Right. Um, so I'm looking and, and, and um, you know, this, this is before Facebook, before I could stalk her on Facebook. We didn't have that. So I got to know her through our youth group and I really got to like her. And so what happened is we, we started to date um, in, in high school. And um, I think she was um, maybe 15 or 16 or maybe it was 16 going on 17. I'm not sure. How many know what that song is from? Come on, give it up. All right. How many guys know where that song is from? You don't want to admit it, do you? The Sound of Music. It's a great musical. Shame on you for not raising your hand. Okay. So, so she was about 15 or 16. I, I'm, I'm 17. We dated in high school. She broke up with me. She broke my heart. Now, she says it was mutual, but I don't remember it that way. So I got back at her later when I married her. So anyway, so later... <laughs> Later in college, we reconnected, we started dating, obviously married, and we've been married for 25 years last June. Woo-hoo, give it up for 25 years. All right. God bless my wife. Okay, so here's the thing. I, I knew about my wife, Kathleen, at the beginning. I didn't really know her. Um, I knew about her, but it wasn't until we started to really get to know each other and we started to talk and you start to let your guard down and you become more vulnerable that you really get to know each other. And then you, you, what you begin to do is, remember at that time, at, at that relationship where you really begin to share your heart. This is where you become vulnerable because says, I, I'm not going to guard my heart anymore. I'm going to really start to share some things that I probably haven't shared with other people. And so you start to let your guard down because you're, you're falling in love 
love with this person and you're comfortable with them. You're starting to have this more intimate, close relationship. So now you're saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let my guard down. I'm going to expose myself. Now, this could be dangerous because I could get my heart broken, but, but I'm going to take this risk in this relationship to let my guard down, to let my heart be exposed. And then eventually we give, we, we, we give our heart to that person. That's why breakups are so hard because you're giving something to that person. You're giving them your heart. And, and, I, and so, you know, eventually um, we got to know each other. We got married and, and we got very close to each other. But there was a point in that relationship where our relationship changed. And this is what we've been looking at in the last couple of weeks is what is it truly mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Not just a fan, not, not someone that, that stiffs arm Jesus because Jesus never wanted to have a relationship like that with us. He never called us just to be admirers of him or just a bunch of fans that fill pews in a church and just maybe think about him once a week. That's not really what Jesus called us to. Jesus actually wants to have a close relationship with you. He, he, he wants us to be close, just like you would think in a um, close relationship in a marriage. He, he doesn't, a fan is an admirer, not, not completely sold out. And, and so what we've been doing is talking about our relationship with Christ. Am I merely a fan who, who, who thinks about or knows Jesus, but, but really hasn't dedicated to, to leave everything and to really follow him and to become vulnerable? Or am I following Jesus? Jesus calls us to follow him, not, not simply admire him, to, to, to deny myself, to, to take up our cross and follow him. And so he calls us to lay down our lives and, and, and become his willing and obedient servants. And it would be easy for us to, to know about Jesus, to study about Jesus, to quote scriptures about Jesus. But Jesus wants us to, he wants to know us personally. He wants to have this intimate relationship with us, just like you would see in a marriage relationship. Now, I, I, I know my wife. I, I know her voice. When she calls me in the store, I know her voice. Why? Because I've spent my life with her. She knows me better than anyone else. She knows my shortcomings. She knows my likes, my dislikes. She knows my taste. She knows my sense of humor. Why? Because we have this intimate relationship with one another. Here's the point I want to make. God wants to make it personal. God wants his relationship with you to be personal, not religious. Can I get an amen? Okay. And, and let me, let me, let me say this before you think, what is Pastor Bard talking about? Um, religion is, is, is man's attempt to try to reach God in their own strength. And they set up the perimeters of how close they want to get to God. So what, listen now, you can listen closely because this is what we do. What we tend to do is we think if I just put in my time, if I punch my time clock, if I go through these religious things, then I've done my duty with God and then I can live my life the way I want to live it, right? So I go to church for an hour and a half. And by the way, Marie, now I'm going to preach twice as long. Put me down. So I'm, I'm, I'm on fire today. My orange juice was expired, so God knows what's going to happen. Okay? So I'm just telling you now. So, so what we do is religion, what religion is, it's man's attempt to try to make up our relationship with God and, and, and tell him what we want. And tell, and, and tell him how much we're going to do and not do. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you're going to come to me, 
I'm going to set the rules. I'm going to set the guidelines. And if you're going to come to me because I've done everything for you, 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 you don't bring anything in this relationship. I've done everything for you. And when we understand that, then we realize, wait a minute. What, what, what true religion is, what, what a true relationship with God is, is God has come down to us to show us exactly how we are to have a relationship with him. And he desires obedience and that we lay our lives down, that it's just not some casual thing. It's not some once in a while thing. But it's a lifestyle thing that changes everything about our lives. And so it would be easy for us not to make our relationship with Jesus personal. And, and, and so God wants to make it personal. How many of you, when you've gotten in an argument with somebody and they made it personal, right? And, and, and they say something like your mama wears combat boots because they felt like they were like losing the argument, right? And they just made it personal and they said something personal about you and you got really offended. And all of a sudden you're not even arguing about what you originally argued about, right? You're fighting because you, you, someone attacked you personally. Has anyone ever said this to you to try to lessen the blow where they said, you know, let me just say this. This isn't personal, but this is business. Oh, like that makes it a whole lot better, right? That never works. I don't care if you say, I'm hurt. You, you, you've, you've attacked me. And so, and so we try to come with that excuse to, to try to soften the blow. Now, now if I'm driving and, 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 Something happens, there's a little altercation on the road and, and some people aren't so nice and maybe they throw you the number one signal, right? And they're mad at you or whatever because maybe you didn't do something right in the road and they're mad at you and so they drive by and they're all mad. How many you know about five minutes later, I'm fine with it, right? Because I don't know that person and I'm fine with it. After I follow them for about 10 miles, I'm fine with it, right? I'm good with it, I'm fine with it. Um, it, it just goes away. Now, now what happens uh, when, when someone you have a personal relationship hurts you, right? That stings. That hurts. Why? Because I have a personal relationship with that person and it means more. There's more at stake. I've given more to that relationship. And, and here's, here's what God desires from us. He wants more than just an intellectual relationship with you. He wants more than just this casual relationship with you. He wants it more than just this business relationship with you. He wants more than, um, um, Jesus, I'm just going to go to you when I need you type of relationship, right? That, that's not what he desires. He wants this close, intimate relationship that's an everyday thing that he's leading and, and guiding our lives. Not just this casual business, Jesus, just when I need you kind of a thing. And see, this is what I love about this story in Luke. Because what this story in Luke shows us is that there was something different in the way Simon treated Jesus and the way this sinful woman was treated by Jesus. You see, what, what, what did this woman know that Simon didn't? Well, what she knew is this, is that God wants to know us intimately. That, that, that it's not just this business or casual thing, that God wants to know us intimately. Now, now God actually wants to know us. The God of the universe, the God that created everything, the moon and the stars and the galaxies, actually wants to know us individually and on a personal level. Now, the, the word know is a very interesting word in the Bible. And, and it, it basically, the, we see this word used over and over and over again, um, specifically in the Old Testament. And basically, it's this Hebrew word for no is actually this word yada. 
yada, 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 right? It actually, there's a word. That means you're like, really, that's a word? It is a word. It, it means to know. Yada means to know. And it says it, 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 it was first used in the, in the context of relationships. And so we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And Genesis 4.1 gives us a little insight into this word know. And so God literally wants to know us. Uh, Genesis 4.1 says this. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and then she conceived and, and, and bore Cain. Now, the word know there, the word Hebrew word yada, means to know and to be known completely. So God uses this word yada to describe the beautiful union between a husband and a wife, this union between Adam and Eve, and it was not just a physical thing. It was, it was intimate on every level. The union between a husband and wife is supposed to be beautiful and sacred. The union of marriage between a husband and a wife is to be sacred. It is a union that God brings together. God brought these two together. In the word of God says, the two shall become one flesh. It's a beautiful union that, that God describes, that God ordains. They said, this is the right way to do it. It's more than just a physical act. It's, it, it's about coming together in this sacred act of marriage. And what's interesting about this word, that if you trace it through the Old Testament, you will see it used over and over and over again to describe our relationship with God. Isn't that interesting that God uses the marriage relationship to describe our relationship with Christ? In fact, the Apostle Paul, the best illustration that, that he could use to describe our relationship with Christ was through a marital relationship that God ordained from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Now, this, th this, this may sound strange, but if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. God doesn't want some cheap, casual relationship with us. God desires to have the real thing. Our relationship with God should be like our relationship with our spouse. It should be like a committed marital relationship. Committed, sacred, meaningful, and beautiful. Now, I, I want you to listen to the way David describes God's relationship with us. This is so good. And I love the way David describes this in Psalm 139, one through four. Listen to what he says. David says, and he makes it, I love this because you can see that, that David, even with all his mess ups and all the th wrong things that he did in his life, desired to have a relationship with God. And that's why he's described as a man after God's own heart. I mean, it's amazing with all his mess ups and basically breaking all the commandments, he knew where to turn. He knew where to find forgiveness that ultimately his strength was in the Lord. And, and listen to the way he describes our, his relationship with God. He says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. Isn't that a little scary? God knows everything about us. There, there is nothing that you can hide from God. Isn't it amazing that God knows my heart and everything about it, but yet he still receives me? I don't get that sometimes because so many times we make so many mistakes and we don't deserve his grace, but yet God knows everything about our hearts. 
but yet he still receives us through his grace and we can still find forgiveness and we can still find mercy and grace in our time of need and to find hope when we've made mistakes. Isn't that wonderful? Boy, that's good news. Can I have an amen, 830 crowd? Good, okay. And you're all thinking about the Bills game right now. Just think about this right now, okay? Just get over it, okay? He knows everything about me. And then verse two, he says, he goes, you know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away, even when I'm just daydreaming and I'm not even thinking about you, you know my thoughts. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. How many times does David use this word Yada, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know everything about me. You see, David sees his relationship with God as something very personal. He expresses how God knows him. It's not some faraway relationship. It's up close. It's, it's personal. And so God, you know how I feel. You know, when I hurt, you know what I'm thinking. And, and, and that's what I love about this story with Jesus's encounter with this immoral woman. And, and I just want to just extract a couple things out of this story that, that will bring it home for, for you and I here today. And I, I want you to see what, what Jesus' Jesus's side of this story, because this is very important. Because if, if we don't think that Jesus is approachable, if you don't think you can come to Christ because you have too many shortcomings in your life, if, if you don't think you're worthy to be a Christian, because you say, well, Pastor Brian, you have no idea about my past. I mean, I, I can't even believe I'm sitting in church today, to be honest with you. I'm surprised the walls didn't fall down right now, right? So many people think they are unworthy, but those are the very people that Jesus receives. See, the people that Jesus rejects are the ones that think they've got it all together and they don't need Jesus. And that's what Jesus said. He goes, those that know they need forgiveness are the ones that love the most. And here's the picture I want you to see. This woman knew her sins were great. That's why she loved the most. Where Simon thought he had it all together and he didn't think he needed forgiveness. It's an important story for us to understand here. Because I think what happens in our lives is whether we've been in church for a long time, we think we get it all together and then we don't really think we, we need the forgiveness and then we show little love towards people. But those that come with a broken heart and a broken spirit that realize they don't deserve it are the ones that love the most. They're the ones that get it. And that's the heart that Jesus desires. So I want you to see a couple of things here about Jesus because, because he does receive anyone that comes to him. Anyone that's broken. Anyone that's hurting. Doesn't matter what your background is. He receives us. So a couple of things here. I want you to see here that Jesus allowed himself to be vulnerable in this situation. Big time. So here he is. He's at these religious people's house, right? And this woman comes in who is of ill repute and he allows her to do these things. I mean, th this is a huge risk that Jesus takes. Now I want you to notice what S Simon the Pharisee says. He says, he makes a judgment on the woman because she's a sinner and Jesus allows her to anoint his feet and kiss them and, and she wipes uh, Jesus' feet with her hair. When you unbound your hair, that was not a good thing. In fact, unbound hair meant that you were 
available, put it that way. So by her even doing that was very suggestive. But Jesus peered into her heart and knew that there was nothing immoral that she was doing. In fact, she was coming to find forgiveness. Now, this would have been seen as inappropriate. This woman was courageous for doing this, but there was nothing immoral that was going on in her. And so what Jesus saw was her heart, her, her thankfulness, and allowed her to do that because she was reverent. And she was reverent at the risk of being misunderstood and judged. And that's exactly what happened. So this woman was at the risk of being judged. And so was Jesus for allowing her to do it. He was allowing himself to be misunderstood, to be judged. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus was vulnerable here. He didn't stop her, even though others were judging it. Other religious people were judging it. He didn't say, how will this make me look? Will this taint my reputation? Will this put me in a bad light? He allowed the woman to express her devotion and her thankfulness. And so he allowed her to come with all her sins. With the bad reputation, he allowed her to come. Now, my question would be this. Yeah, have you ever read through scripture and you're like, okay, why did this happen? Or why did it happen this way? My question is, how did the woman get into the dinner? Because, because obviously... Um, Simon, they know she's a sinner. And so Simon's like, hey, you know, you're not welcome here. Where were the bouncers? Right? What, you, you ever wonder that when you're right? Well, how did she even, she wasn't invited. She just came. Well, here's, 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 this is a, a, a question, you know, because obviously she had a reputation would not be welcome. Well, this was not a private dinner. Let me explain to you the culture at this time. This could have easily been in an open courtyard. And what, what they would do is, is, is they would have this dinner, but it would be an open courtyard. And what they would do is they would allow people to come and watch what was going on and being said on the inside. Their, their religious discussions, right? You can sit and listen to our religion. You're not going to eat with us, but you can listen to our religious discussions. So it would be an open courtyard, and people could just stand out and and be spectators. Well, this woman was a spectator, and this woman had a lot of courage to do what she did. She took a huge risk. But it's a risk that paid off for her because she knew the heart of Christ that he would receive her. So basically, she risked everything, and she could have been completely humiliated, but Jesus doesn't cast her aside. He does just the opposite. He shows her grace. Now here's the second thing I want you to see. Jesus didn't put up roadblocks for her. He didn't worry about his reputation. And here's the point I want you to see here. God wants you to know him. He didn't put these roadblocks in front of her. So it was so difficult for her to know him. He didn't say, wait, 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 before you come, you better get your life straightened out. Go back and start reading the scriptures, get your life cleaned up, and then you can come talk to me, okay? He just let her come just as she was. You know, does Jesus know about her life? You better believe it. Does he overlook her sin? No, he doesn't. But I want you to look at the way that she comes to him. See, an honored guest, which Jesus was, would have had water for his feet. They would have gotten a kiss from the host. And they would have anointed their head with oil, with perfume, as just a sign of, of 
fragrance, and so on and so forth. And so the person that was hosting the event, the so-called religious person who was Simon, who invited Jesus, did none of these things. He didn't welcome him. Didn't give him a kiss. Didn't anoint his head. Didn't wash his feet. Nothing. He just came and, and none of the, all these things were customary, but he did none of those things as the honored guest. And so here's what I want you to see. The woman's act of humility showed her repentance. Showed her repentance. See, the task of washing someone's feet, um, the task of anointing their head, um, all these were menial tasks that were usually reserved for a servant. And what this woman did was not only clean Jesus' feet, but she cleaned his feet with her tears, kissing his feet, wiping the tears with her hair, anointing Jesus' feet with perfume. So my question is, who is the righteous one in this story? Who is the righteous one in the story? What is the difference between Simon and the sinful woman? You see, here's, here's what I want you to grab this morning. One chooses knowledge about Jesus and one embraced intimacy to really know Jesus. Simon even calls Jesus a teacher, but he really didn't want to get to know him personally. Maybe he brought him there to trick him. I don't know, because Jesus really uh, wasn't real popular among the Pharisees because he kind of rocked their theological boats a lot. Um, you see, Simon, he cared more about maybe the knowledge than the one who actually gives the knowledge. Are you hearing me, people? See, becoming intimate causes me to become vulnerable and exposed. See, my intimacy with Christ, wanting to know him and what he did for me, is what drives my knowledge to want to know him, to become obedient to him, to serve him. Jesus even says in the last days, there's some that are going to come to him and say, Jesus, didn't we do all these things for you? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all these great things? And Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Yada. I never, yeah, you did a lot of things for me. Great. But you didn't have a personal relationship. I didn't know you. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know you. I, I don't know you. And Jesus wants to know us. In fact, what Jesus does is they, they ask Jesus one time, What's the greatest commandment? You know, there's 613 laws. You break one, you break them all. And that's why we see the Israelites failing miserably. And that's why Jesus came to fulfill everything for us. And so you have these 613 laws. And someone goes up to Jesus. Well, what is the greatest commandment? What's the one that we're supposed to follow? What's the, what is it? Tell us what the, out of all 613, what are we supposed to do? What's the greatest one? And what does Jesus say to them? He boils all 613 and he boils it down to two. And he says this, he says, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. What does he boil it down to? He boils it down to love. Know the Lord your God. Are we supposed to serve him? Are we supposed to be obedient to the Lord? Should we read his word? Should we grow in his life? Yes, 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 yes. But if it's not preceded by my love for the Lord and my desire to know him personally, all that stuff is just knowledge. 
Jesus wants to know us. Here, here, just catch this. Just stay with me because we're going to wrap. We're, I'm almost done. You're welcome, Marie. So I'm almost done here, okay? L- listen, to what, listen to what he's saying here. Here's the problem with Simon. Simon hides behind his knowledge in fear of being exposed. For this very reason, he was just as sinful as the woman. And here's what we can do. Just catch this one. Here's what we can do. The problem is we can hide behind our religiosity, right? And not really know God. We can hide behind doing things for Christ, which is great. We need to serve him. But is he really speaking to your heart? It's great. We need to serve the Lord. That's part of that's what we need to do because when we know that Christ has saved us and there's that gratitude that there should be love and service unto him and serving one another. All those things are wonderful and we should be doing those things. But if it's not motivated by my love for Christ, then it's just works. And I'm actually doing it for myself and not for him. You see, Simon just had this knowledge about the Lord, but he really didn't want to get to know him. This woman, with all her sins, really wanted to know Jesus. She understood that he was the one that could forgive. That's why Jesus could say to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith in me has healed you. See, a true follower experiences this intimacy with Christ. They allow themselves to be open. They allow God's word to speak to them, to correct them, to humble them, to, to, be, to be tender towards his voice and the Holy Spirit. Let, let, let me just make a conjecture here for just a moment. And, and I'm going to close. I believe that the woman's perfume could have easily been used for her profession. What she does is she pours it all out on Jesus' feet because she doesn't need it anymore. The very thing that was used for sin was now used to glorify Christ and say, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to pour this all out on your feet because now I have found out what true intimacy is, what true love is, and it's not found in those relationships. You know, for for. Many of us here, we're trying to find love in, in all the wrong places, right? And, and we're trying to find intimacy over here and over there, and it, it's just not working, right? And finally, this woman finds this true relationship, this man that truly loves her for who she is. And that's why her life changed, because she found true grace and true mercy at the feet of Jesus Christ. Her life now changes. You see, false intimacy will never, ever satisfy us, ever. And she found the real thing. And here's what Christ wants with us as we, as we follow him and as we want to grow closer to him. He wants real intimacy with you. He doesn't want it through your religious service He wants to know you. He wants to speak to your heart. Um, There was a song many, many, many years ago when I was first following Jesus as a young person. And let me just close with this. It was was by a singer, wonderful voice called Larnell Harris. And he he, um, wrote this um, song called I Miss My Time With You. 
And I remember listening to it as a young person. It just kind of spoke to me because it kind of recalibrated my life. Like, Jesus, am I just reading the Bible just to gain knowledge? Or am I reading it also because I want to know you and I want you to know me and I want you to expose the hidden things in my heart because, because I just want to know you and, and I want to grow closer to you. And here are the words that Larnell wrote. It says this. It says, there he was just waiting in our old familiar place, an empty spot beside him where once I used to wait to be filled with strength and wisdom for the battle of the day. I would have passed by him again if I didn't hear him say. And here's Jesus speaking to us. I miss my time with you. Those moments together I need to be with you each day, and it hurts me when you say you're too busy. Busy trying to serve me. But how can you serve me when your spirit is empty? There's a longing in my heart, wanting more than just a part of you. It's true, I miss my time with you. What do I have to offer? How can I truly care? My efforts have no meaning when your presence isn't there. But you will provide the power if I take time to pray. I'll stay right here beside you. And you will never have to say, I miss my time with you. Where are you with the Lord today? Is he speaking that to your heart? Has your Bible reading gone numb? Do you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Do you feel like you're going through the motions and you just feel dry today? I believe the Lord's calling you back to say, hey, 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 come back to me. Let me speak to your heart. Let me, let me humble you. Let me, let, let me change your heart. I, I, I want to know you. Yeah, I know you made mistakes. I know we all mess up. Jesus knows all that, but he just wants us to come back to him and renew that relationship with him so that Jesus can place the fire back into our bellies again to want to know him and seek his face every single day. So I don't know where your relationship is with Jesus today. I don't know I don't know where it is, but I want to let you know today that that Jesus isn't putting anything before you. He's just saying, "Come. I I've been here. I've been waiting." You know. I haven't moved. But you've gotten real busy. And that's not to put a guilt trip on anybody. That's just to say that's how much he wants to know us. He wants to make it personal. The point of it is, is Jesus wants to grab your heart at so many times where he just breaks it and just says, hey, Barden, that's not what I want for you. Barden, what are you doing there, Barden? And just let him speak to you. Let your heart be tender. I Listen, I believe that if our hearts are tender before the Lord... It's going to keep us from a lot of heartache and and a lot of strain to other things because his word is going to speak so loudly to you because you're going to be more than just hearers of the word. You're going to do it, as James says. So let me encourage you today to get along with Jesus and just let him speak to your heart. My prayer is that you're doing your 30-day journal, that that's changing you, 
that that's causing you to look at your life in a different way, I'm really praying that that is speaking, speaking, speaking to your heart. That when you read the word, you apply it to your life. That it's just not, you're just not reading it, but you're, 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 you're applying it. It's applicable to your life. Like, Jesus, what, what do you pray? God, what are you speaking to me in this? What do you want to say to me here? And there are times where those words will jump off the page and you'll be like, whoa. And there'll be times where you're just going to have to read through it. You're going to have to suffer and just read through it because later it's going to come back. You're going to be like, man, I did read that. It didn't mean anything to me then, but it means a lot to me now, right? Stay faithful. Jesus is staying faithful to you. Stay faithful to him. So let me pray for you today. I just want you to bow your heads today and let's just pray as we just close this service today. And I just want to challenge you today just to allow the Lord just to speak to your heart. And this is the thing that I would want you to take away from the message today. If you're going to take anything away from this, from this word today, um, What is Jesus saying to you today? Take inventory of your life. What is he saying to you today? Is your relationship with him religious? Is it, have you set the rules or is, or is Jesus really leading your life? Are there things in your life that you know ought not be there that are distracting you from your relationship with him? Have you gotten too busy? Let the Holy Spirit speak to that area of your life that, that needs to change so that the doors can be open to have that right and good relationship that he desires to have with you this morning. Make it personal. So Lord, we bow our heads, bow our hearts before you today. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that you want to know us, not, not in a business way, not in a casual way, not in a impersonal way, but you want to know us. You just as David expressed, know us better than anyone else. Thank you that you don't put any roadblocks before us to, to, to know you, that you receive us just as we are, but you love us too much to keep us there. So Lord, I just pray that whatever is in our hearts, whatever in our life that's keeping us from knowing you more intimately, I pray that you would remove those roadblocks from our lives so that we would know you and that, and that you would be allowed to know us as we become vulnerable before you. Thank you for this story. What a great story. Lord, that's what you want from us today. So I thank you for your faithfulness and I thank you for your patience with us in our lives. And we just want to be careful to ask all these things in your name as you speak to us. In Jesus' precious, precious name, we ask these things. Amen.